0: Welcome to WearTechnology.com's User Friendly 2.0 with
1: host Bill Sickens, technology architect. And this is User Friendly 2.0. Welcome to the show, Jeremy and Gretchen. Welcome. Hello. Hello there. Well, I hate to have to say it, we're cropping out this week. We're going to have a clip show. But That's okay. Labor Day weekend <laughs> We're all enjoying some time off, and we've actually gotten some great interviews. I remember trying to do this last year, because we do about three, four of these a year over the holidays, and uh, look back and recap things. And with COVID and everything that was going on, there wasn't a lot to repeat. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. So, but, but this year has been very different. We're going to be looking back at some of the things that's going on. We had some great, great shows, Emerald City Comic Con twice, really, and Black Hat and some of the other things that we've been doing. And in addition to that, I've had some great interviews. So we're going to be taking a look back at all of that and uh, seeing just some of the different things. And the way that we put these together, by the way, is it's the segments of the show that we get the most reaction from you, our audience. So questions, comments, love it, hate it, any of that kind of thing allows us to go back and take a look and say, hey, this was interesting. And then one of the things we're also going to be doing this fall is getting some of your questions answered. I haven't forgotten about them and we aren't ignoring them. We're just compiling them. We're gonna have a couple of the guests coming back on the show to answer what you've been sending in. Uh Steve's interviews, there's a number of other questions. He picked up on some of them for himself personally earlier in the year, but we've got some that are specific to his guests. And Chaz is going to be back on. There's a couple of people that are very interested in cybersecurity, which he's an expert on. And some other things like that. So, you know, that's gonna be that's gonna be kind of cool. And we've got all that coming up. So you know, Labor Day is kind of the marker into the fall. Football season starts. The weather starts changing, hopefully School. pretty soon. Yep. All of that kind of thing. And it's just, it's a fun time of year. My favorite time of year. So send us your questions and comments. One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. And here we go to the clip show. Welcome back. This is user friendly 2.0. Send us your questions. Send us your comments. One user friendly on social media. The online. Joining us today is a very special guest, Congressman Greg Walden, who has been working on the robocall legislation that we've been talking about on the show, and a lot of you have sent in questions about that. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, it's good to be with you. Thanks.
1: First question for you. Robocalls, they're a big problem. What is going on?
2: Well, you know, it's a couple of things. First of all, let me give you a number, 47.8 billion. That's the number of illegal robocalls placed nationwide last year in America, um, 47.8 billion. Last month alone, Americans received an estimated 4.8 billion, again, illegal robocalls. So these aren't the ones that tell you your prescription's ready or you know something like these. These are the scam artists. These are the ones often operating overseas, which makes them hard to go get and shut down, um, that are trying to steal your data, steal your credit card information. They're the ones that, a uh, cancer center in Florida before our committee said, use their phone number, spoof their phone number to call patients and then ask for personal data. Um, and you can imagine if you're getting treated for cancer to cancer center and that number pops up as the cancer center and they said, oh, by the way, we our records are missing your fill in the blank, social security number, date of birth, whatever. You're going to give it to them, aren't you? And and it look- turns out a total scam. And, and so, do most people yeah, respond?
1: Ahead. Do most people respond to that? I mean, is this actually a very good way to get private information like that?
2: Yes, it works, or they wouldn't do it. And it's virtually no cost to them because they're using IP circuitry, so they're they're doing it over the internet. It's not the old, you know, your 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 grandpa's days of you know calling overseas, delay in, in talk and talk, right. and a ten dollar a minute bill. This is all free, right? It's all over the internet. It's all IP and uh, and 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 they just it's a numbers game it's an odds game and they target seniors they target the vulnerable they get very very sophisticated i i've had people use tell me that their own numbers have been used to call them so it looks like your own number calling you i i i mean and it it is both a, a nuisance it is a fraud and in some cases it it probably costs lives i I talked to a person in my district who had a friend who got called, was on a donor list for an Oregon donation, and uh, got the call, but thought it was a scam, uh, and, and let it go to voicemail, didn't answer it, didn't listen to the voicemail for a day, and actually they were calling to say, your number's up, we got something, come in now. Oh, wow. And by that point, it was too late. And, and so, I mean, it, 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 so they go back on the list. And so th- th- this is really serious stuff, and there are a couple ways to go after it, and that's what we're trying to do. And this is, leads us to your legislation. What will it do? Well, it does a couple of things. Um, it, it requires that phone carriers implement call authentication technology. So in, since, the, since the time we put this in and have been working it, um, they've basically reached an agreement with Ajit Pai at the FCC and state's attorneys general to do this. They have the technology uh, behind the curtain, if you will, to determine that that number that purports to be from the cancer center or, you know, who, wherever, is not. They can, they can determine that with their technology, and therefore they can use that technology to, to identify spoofed and fake calls and also, have blocking technology. So, it allows, it, it would require them to use that authentication technology. It would allow them to offer call blocking services to consumers at no additional cost. And consumers could have an opt out. Now, I don't know why you'd want that necessarily. Uh, maybe you like getting robocalls. <laughs> um, it, it would empower the Federal Communications Commission and law enforcement to enforce the law and quickly go after these scammers. And it, it requires the FCC to, to report back to Congress on the success of their efforts. Uh, You know this. This is a real serious problem in in lives of Americans. There are some reports that upwards of half the calls we now receive on our on our mobile devices are illegal uh, spoof robocalls, and uh, and and so it's it's just it it interrupts your day, it interrupts your meals. You know, my wife called me the other day and said, I I just got this weird call about somebody breaching our social security account, and you know what should I do? I said nothing. It's it's fraud. Um, and she said, well, that's what I thought. I mean, I got one about a credit card alert, and it turned out that was a fraud. And so uh, they're very sophisticated because there's a lot of money behind it. I, I would argue in some cases there are state actors behind it. Um, there are countries that, that get their money through scams like this. So it, it's highly sophisticated. You know, most of what I've read on this, and I've done a lot of writing on this topic, and and there are state actors involved, and the purpose is to disrupt. Um, So your legislation uh, has been introduced. What do you think? Does it pass? Well, in July, the House passed it 429 to 3, and I'm still trying to figure out why the three voted no, but maybe, again, they enjoy all the interruptions and calls. (laughs) But yeah, so it has a big bipartisan uh, majority coming out of the House. Um, we spent a lot of time on it to get it right because, it, you know, we use loosely use the term robocalls. But uh, if you're not careful, uh, basically what you do on your on your mobile device where you push a button and, and it dials the number for you, technically that's a robocall because it's automatically dialing it. Um, and, and so we had to be really careful to differentiate illegal uh, robocalls from, from legitimate ones. Um, and again, the legitimate one is to say your prescription's ready. You know, it's an auto dial and <clears throat> it's efficient and it, it cuts down costs. and gives you the information you need. We don't want to ban that. Um, but on the other hand, we want to go after the bad actors and the scammers and the spoofers.
1: Now, with most of the uh, robocalls, or a lot of them at least, originating outside of the country, do you think the legislation and doing the caller ID authentication is going to be able to affect international as well as domestically placed uh, robocalls?
2: Yeah, I wish I could sit here on, on this interview and say, we got this done. But this, uh, this uh, cybersecurity, and I'd, I'd uh, you know, put this in that basket, is a never-ending uh, battle. Um, there's no one solution. And so I think this will work and work for a while, but... These are very sophisticated actors and whatever we do, they will try to counter. And so what we need to do is not get too focused on the specific uh, uh, solution to today's problem, but instead basically say use whatever the latest technology is to stop the latest threat and, and not not tie the hands of. The companies to uh, uh, to a certain technology or a certain procedure or a certain requirement, but basically use your technology, block these calls, and go ahead and I've, i I mean I've met with the CEO of a t and t I've talked to the CEO of Sprint. They are ready to go um, they want to make sure that 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 Congress is behind them when they do it because you know bill you, you can imagine um, if they're blocking these somebody's probably going to make a mistake somewhere. And block a call that should have probably gone through, right? And and so I mean there, that'll happen, I think. And and we got to make sure when it does that we don't all lose our minds, because meanwhile there are forty seven point eight billion calls a year that shouldn't happen.
1: Right, absolutely. You know? And that's you know, and that's the whole thing trying to figure that out. We're going to have to go to a quick break here, and then we'll come right back and talk about this a little bit more, Congressman. Thank you. We'll be right back. This is User Friendly Two Point Oh. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, Steve Mailer with his guest, Denise Bridges.
3: Well, thank you, as always, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen. I'm speaking today with a friend who I've literally known for decades, and I've known her, and she's always been drawn to music. She has a lovely voice, and she is the leader of a wonderful band called Child of Mercy. Very gospel Christian music, but it's very, very beautiful. And her name is Denise Bridges. Denise, thank you so much for joining me today on User Friendly.
4: Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here.
3: Well, um, it's been a long time since we've spoken, but um, it sounds like you're doing really, really well and you're keeping very, very busy, which is great. Tell us a little bit about Child of Mercy.
4: Yeah, well, this whole name came about um, probably back in 2003 or 2004. You know, it's kind of goes along with my story. I've been through a lot of stuff. I've made bad choices in my life. Um, There's some trauma. And, you know, after just going through everything, um, I just felt like I was a child of mercy in God's eyes, you know? Um, So he's the one God really inspired me with that name, Child of Mercy. And um, a few years later, 2006, is when um, I started just you know, recording, working with other people and, uh, you know, getting an E our first EP out.
3: Okay. Now, I mean, what my remembrance of you is that you were always involved in singing. You were always involved in music. Did that start with the church, like choirs or gospel music?
4: Yeah. You know, it's funny that I did in high school, I sang in the choir um, but never really sang solo or never really thought I could sing um, and mm-hmm. then pursued like a professional modeling career and got all caught up with that, mm-hmm. kind of fell into something. I can remember know, it, that. Yeah. Eating disorder mm-hmm. and drugs and whatnot Yeah, kind of took a wrong path. Um, but then after I, you know, surrendered and came back to God because I was raised in the church, um, that's when kind of God revealed to me that, hey, I want to give you this gift of singing yeah. and, you know, and kind of close the door to modeling and open the door to, you know, kind of glorifying God instead of myself. Right.
3: Well, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so that's when that yeah. all happened. So okay. yeah.
3: Now how long is child of mercy? So you, was it, do you say 2006?
4: That's when it really started okay. as far as playing out and okay. reporting.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. And how, how many performers do you have in the group with you?
4: Well, it's varied over the years. Um, You know, there was like, I think there was five of us when we first started. There's usually always about five or six of us, um, but it's changed over the years according to, you know, the availability of band members. But, you know, they each stayed at least five, maybe more years each, but it kind of evolved over time depending on, you know, people's lives and what was going on.
3: Now your, your husband is one of your members. Yes.
4: Yes. He's the bass player.
3: Nice. Yeah.
4: And yeah.
3: Okay. And what you do, the music that you create, it's original music.
4: Yes. It's original music that I write.
3: That you write. So you do most of the writing?
4: Yes, I do. I have worked, um, with my guitar player. Um, yeah. And he's maybe written part of the music or whatnot, but, yeah, for the most part I do all the lyrics and music.
3: And when you uh, when you're doing writing, what is your source? What is your inspiration for what you create?
4: You know, um different things that have happened in my life. Um I would say my inspiration is hope and my motto is never lose hope. Okay, and just well, that's because good. of yeah, just because of what I've been through, uh, God is continually reminding me don't don't lose hope. And my life verse is Ecclesiastes three eleven where it says he makes everything beautiful in its time. And I've seen that come to pass over and over again, even through mm. the ugly, dark mm-hmm. stuff. Okay. And so my writing is really the inspiration for the writing comes through that, just wanting to bring hope. And I I just my passion is to encourage people no, who are okay. down or struggling. And so that's um really my passion. Okay. And that comes out through all of my songs.
3: Well, you know, these days, especially, we all need continual messages of hope, don't we?
4: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
3: How do you present this music? Do you perform live? Do you do like concerts? Do you do uh, church services? How do people experience your music live?
4: Yeah. So we do concerts. We've done festivals. I've done conferences. Um, I go to celebrate recoveries. Oh, wow. I have a real heart for them. Um, and so, yeah, we play out. We've been playing out since 2006. We used to go on tour, you know, wow. and just, you know, yeah, I mean, not a world tour, okay. but, you know.
3: Because <laughs> you <laughs> like, you're from the Bay states. Area, you're, you're in the Bay Area.
4: Right. So in the Bay Area, then we go SoCal, NorCal. I've been to Arizona. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, just we've been to different places Um, depending on where God opens the door is okay. really how I look at it. So
3: Now, in terms of your music library, there are a lot of CD releases, how do people get to the, your music?
4: Yeah. So lately we've been releasing um, singles. And okay. so... You know, if you just look up Child of Mercy on Apple uh, Music, um, Amazon, it's on all the platforms. So if you were to just look up Child of Mercy, that would come up. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's pretty easy to find us.
3: What would you say the biggest venue you've ever performed in front of was?
4: Oh, boy. Hmm. (laughs) Sorry.
3: (laughs) I had to ask you. Trying to think.
4: No, it's all good. Um, Probably... Either Spirit West Coast or Joshua Fest. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of how many people go to that, but there was thousands. Yes, of it sounds
3: like it would be thousands.
4: Yeah, so that's those are probably the two biggest venues um that I can recall at this time. Okay. We, we do a lot of smaller venues as well, like you know we've done college ministry or oh, recovery groups, and honestly, I'll be honest with you, I do. Like the smaller venues, but mm-hmm. I also like, you know, like a church, a big church that's packed full. We just did a concert last year, um, right before COVID hit, mm-hmm. and it was it was wonderful. It was so much energy, and wow. I loved it. I missed that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm sure it's coming around again. Are, are things opening up that way?
4: Yeah, they're starting to slowly. Slowly, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's kind of hard to to sing and express these wonderful message of messages of hope through a mask
4: oh exactly (laughs) and so yeah we i've been doing zoom um
3: oh wow you
4: know type of things too so that's been going on during this whole shutdown as well so haven't ever i didn't stop you know we just kept going Yeah. yeah
3: Yeah. Well, you know, it's been fun catching up with you and I think it's remarkable what you do. And I love that the the energy behind what you do is about hope and forgiveness and rebuilding because mm. that's, I don't know, these, these days that's just so very important. Well, it's Child of Mercy and they're available on a multitude of delivery music platforms. So check them out. And Denise Bridges, again, I thank you so much for catching up with me here on User Friendly. Talk to you again soon in the future, I hope.
4: Okay, sounds good, Steve. Thanks.
3: Okay, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. Steve, thank you. We'll be back after the break.
1: Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to be talking a little bit today about past technology and some of the properties that we see it in. And just to give a little bit of context on this, what we're going to be talking about today will be two different large homes that were built a long time ago, both over 100 years ago, and that's Viking Home up at Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and California, and Pennick Mansion in Portland, Oregon. And Before we get into this, I just want to make the comment that our hearts goes out to everybody at Lake Tahoe right now. When we're recording, we don't know what's going to happen with this fire. We might when we air, but just uh, we hope that uh, everybody is going to be okay and that they can do something to save the area because it is so beautiful up there. That being said, um, Gretchen, why don't you talk a little bit about Viking's Home? Well, Viking's Home is
0: in Emerald Bay, and Emerald Bay itself is a jewel. Uh, There's a little island in the center with a Mm -hmm. little tea house that was also built by um, uh, the lady that had Vikings home, um, Mrs. Mrs. Laura Knight. Yeah, and the the house is gorgeous, and it it really reminds me of the house that we just recently visited in um, Portland. Is that where is is Piddick Mansion in Portland? Piddick Mansion is in
1: Portland. It's in Portland Hills.
0: Okay. Anyways, and so I, I, it made me think about how beautiful Viking's home was. That the, there's a lot of effort that's gone into building these places. The the woodwork, the the tile, the um, the stonework, the furniture, everything there there's so much character that's put into these homes and it really reflects the era and the people that owned them. And then there's the technology that it has been added, and <clears throat> one of the features that you happened to point out to me at Pittick Mansion was um, the showers. Tell me, yes. y- you, you, I didn't quite understand completely how that thing worked, but it looked pretty crazy, but kind of cool at the same time. Yeah,
1: so I thought I was really ahead of the game here getting a rain shower head. and uh-huh. it's one of these shower heads that goes over and is like rain, you know, kind of at least mm-hmm. the uh-huh. idea of it. And uh, here we see this uh, uh, 1914 version of it that's actually quite better.
5: And yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Now, one thing about Pinnick Mansion is they did build with the latest technology. So the showers being one of them, it's got body jets. It's got the, as we said, the rain shower head, ring shower heads, a handheld, all the stuff that you would expect to see in a high-end shower today is already there and in both of the bathrooms. So it was interesting. The way that they have that set up, the mix valve brings the hot and cold water in. You actually had a thermostat or a thermometer rather on the uh, unit. So you could see what the temperature of the water was before it would come out of the shower head. Some of these different type of things. And you know when you're talking about technology, it's interesting because the, it, like with Piddick Mansion, they actually had a central vac system, all of this kind of stuff, electric mm-hmm. things. Um, they had a backup system for gas lighting, but Again, the latest, greatest was put in all that. And I know Viking's home was similar.
0: Yeah. And the sad thing is, is um, when we visited, it was in 2016. So my memory is a little bit um, foggy as to some of the tech that was put into the place. But um, yeah, they did go through a lot of trouble to set up things. And they even planned where the house is located because of, of avalanche dangers. Right. And see, so really all that went into through.
1: it. One of the things I remember about Vikings Home, as far as tech goes, that we're using now, was the roof gardens, where there was actually grass growing on the roof to act as an insulation, yeah. you know, and make it, a, make it a green property in many ways. Of course, it wasn't called that at the time. It was just because it was better on energy. But it serves the same purpose, and it's the same idea, kind of a you know, concept of what is old is, is new again
0: hmm uh, Well, it seems like things done in the old days were not bad. They were good ideas. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of sad to see things be tossed aside just because it's it's old. Well, just because it's old doesn't mean
1: bad. Yep. all. <laughs> you know? It's interesting. Now, these bigger houses, of course, cost a lot of money to maintain. And in both cases, they're run as a park. And mm-hmm. Viking's home was given to the state or bought by the state. However, they did it in 1953. Piddick Mansion in 1964. So, a very similar time frame as well, as far as all of that goes. In both cases, the original families were gone and they had gotten abandoned or started to get uh, non maintained. And,
0: and I think they were both saved by groups. Yes. Groups that cared about
1: the local history. And I know uh, some of the fun stuff, too, up at Vikings Home is that there's a water thing that you can go out to. There's an island next to it and all that stuff and some different things like that. And, you know, it just. Uh, Both of them are worth seeing. There's online versions of it. I know Piddick Mansion has a virtual reality thing that you can look at to see everything that's in there. Check it out. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to dive a little deeper into this week's Tech Wednesday. And for anybody that doesn't know about Tech Wednesday, check it out. Every week or so, we do an article on what's new in technology. Something you can read at your convenience. Check it out on our website, userfriendlyshow.com or theanswerportland.com. And this week, we are talking about data collection, specifically in smart TVs. So right Mm -hmm. now is the time of year that a lot of people are replacing their television to watch the Super Bowl coming up here in about two weeks now. And uh, this is very much a common thing to do. But what do you need to know beyond telling the company where you're going to buy your television what size you want and where to have it delivered? And there are some things to be concerned about here.
5: (laughs) Well,
0: yes. Is it
1: smart? Is it smart? And most televisions now are smart one way or the other. So the smart TV side of it definitely is something that you want to make sure it's the kind of smart TV you want. And the built-in ability to do this can vary from manufacturer to manufacturer. So it's something to dig into and check out. But one thing that they all are starting to do in common is including something. Hey, Gretchen, I've got a new acronym for you, ACR. Uh, (laughs) does it make the tv nosy well let's see it stands for automatic content recognition
5: yes it does yeah
1: (laughs) okay and what this technology does is is it attempts to identify every show you play whether it's from cable over the air streaming services dvds blu-rays whatever the case may be and transmit the data somewhere
0: usually to the tv maker Okay, um,
1: that is really nosy. I, I'd say, uh, new. No. Yeah. Well, a lot of people tend to agree with you. Vizio got in trouble for this a couple of years ago, back in 2017, when they were putting this technology in their stuff and didn't tell everybody or anybody, really, for that matter. Mm-hmm. As, soon as, as soon as regulators found out about it, uh, collection of data without users' knowledge or consent, they went to court and, um, ended up paying out $2.2 million which for a big company really isn't that much. But the bottom line of it is, is this technology is in pretty much any television you would buy at this point. So -hmm. the study that I'm going to be talking about here was done by Consumer Reports last year. And the first thing of it is, is that you can't completely turn this off in most televisions, but there is a direction you can go to shut it down more or less. And every manufacturer has a different method of doing this. So what we're going to do in this next week's Tech Wednesday article is put the instructions there so you can go on and check it out. But this goes beyond just the television. It's in your streaming media sticks, so like your Fire TV, your PlayStation, all that kind of stuff, or your Roqueo. Um Again, the idea of sending things back and in a lot of cases... They're finding out that the televisions are sending information back to Netflix, whether or not you have the Netflix app installed.
0: Ew, so, weird. Yeah, that seems, that seems a little intrusive.
1: So, yeah. So again, according to the study, the only way that you can completely shut this off would be to not connect your television to the internet. But of course, if you don't connect the television to the internet, you don't have the smart television features. So that kind of creates a problem. Yeah. Or you can go through and shut down as much of it as possible. And, again, we'll put the instructions out there to do this. But the idea of this is that the information is going out for things like Nielsen ratings, but more to the point, internet-based ads and targeted advertising. Yeah, so, I, I need less I need less advertising in my life. Yeah. Okay. Really, I do. A lot and of some people, of it is so stupid. I know.
0: And some of it, you'll, you'll watch a commercial and you go, wow, I don't even know what that was for or what they were even talking about. So if the advertisers are listening right now, yeah, you need to start making things that make sense. And you know?
1: it, if, if the characters <laughs> in your ad make me hate your product or service, that's probably not a good
0: idea. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. They're, are- I think it, what is it? Progressive.
1: Progressive. Oh, oh,
0: the thing with, oh, they're turning their, they're turning into their parents. Oh,
1: I just yeah, hate that that one's that, kind those of, commercials. That one's kind of played out. I mean, you know, it just, now, some of the ones they have are kind of fun, like the Angry Birds one. I think that's a okay. amazing. Okay,
0: that one is funny, but that has nothing about turning into your parents.
1: No, no. no. So it just, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, uh, okay, so, you know, everything's called something different now, it seems like. Yeah. And there's no, diff- there's no difference for that on this. So the way that you get in and modify these settings varies from device to device, and even what it's called varies from device to device. Oh, jeez. Really? So, and the other thing <sighs> of it is, if you do shut off what they're calling interest-based advertising, (laughs) it won't shut off the advertising completely. You'll still see ads. It just won't be targeted to you based on what you have done online, which in some cases can become really bad, too. Oh, yeah. If I've looked for one pair of socks online, I don't need the next three weeks of ads to be about socks. I already found the socks and bought them.
0: Yeah, I'm having that with a pair of shoes. (laughs) I'm just seeing
1: shoes everywhere, and I'm like, uh... (laughs) I noticed this across the board. I've known eBay's doing this. I search for something on eBay and I start getting actual emails that pop up from their app or notifications that you searched on this product. So we found these other things that you should buy, you know. (laughs) It's like, really? Oh, that's annoying. Yeah, Yeah. it, it does get to a point. And you take this a step further. We're talking about televisions because that's kind of what's going on right now. But most of your devices do this as well. And yeah certainly apps if you're watching netflix you can be assured it's telling netflix what you're watching and for how long and when you well, pause I can well, and-
0: well that's okay but uh, if i'm watching a dvd netflix should have nothing to do with it yeah i agree yeah it should have nothing because like on netflix i've noticed that um it'll start to collect data as to the things that you like and actually some of that has actually made sense mm-hmm. I've tried some uh, shows out based upon that, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that was okay. Um, But to collect things that have nothing to do with their programming seems really intrusive. Yeah, really
1: cruddy. And this goes a step further. Like some of the televisions that use the Google TV stuff, this Mm -hmm. is one example I'm picking on them, but it's, it's across the board. When you set up your television, you have to accept their terms of service. The terms of service allow them to do this. If you don't accept the terms of service, you can't use the television, even not for streaming. It, it just won't function. So you and can't. That's even not opt cool. Out of it. So, but again, check out Tech Wednesday. We're going to put the instructions out there so that you can at least opt out of some of this, not all of it, as long as along with some new, more details on this. And send us your questions, please. Feel free. This is user friendly two We'll be back after the break. welcome back this is user friendly 2.0 hope you enjoyed the clip show this week and hope you're going to have a great weekend labor day i can't believe it's here already i mean this year has just gone by like crazy and that and you know concert with the covid stuff it's it's like there's been this black hole in time i don't know (laughs) so what are you guys doing this fall we're not sure other than what was that jeremy all i heard was "Whoa, whoa, whoa i said we're not sure (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. That, <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. You know, I, one of the things I do want to cover this fall is the Fort Vancouver stuff. We oh, talked yeah. about it, and I've been checking into it a little bit, and there's a lot planned, uh-huh. and a lot going on, so I'm going to reach out to I, them. And uh, I'm really hoping we're going to be up there with you. Yeah. I I, I think, love
0: Fort Vancouver.
1: <laughs> I, I also have a funny feeling that if I went to it without you guys there, um, I might need to be off-continent or even off-planet for a little while. So... uh We got that coming up. We've got the big Amazon uh, event show coming up in December down in Las Vegas. We'll see. I think we're covering that. I would like to go to it, but I don't know at this point what's going to end up happening. But I don't know. I love the fall. You know, the temperatures get cooler. It's a time of change. I love to see the trees change, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Halloween is my favorite holiday of the year. And uh, it's just a lot of fun (laughs) to be finally to this point. For most of us, it's been a long, hot summer. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad to be seeing that. And hopefully, we'll get a very wet winter. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, except next for year, the
0: people who are being flooded right now, yeah, well, except for yeah. <laughs> the people who are being
1: flooded, you know, water in the right place, you know, it, it's just it's just nuts. But um, one of the things I know next year we're planning to do is the Fan Expo in Portland. We were going to do it this year, but it got canceled because of COVID. As so many things did. But I'm understanding that it is planned either January or February when we get exactly. It's usually around that, that time. Yeah. Yep, get all that uh, get all of that nailed down and then uh, get out to that one and see what else is going on this fall. But, um, but I don't know. There's a lot of things in, in place. I know that you are both putting together some stuff on comic books that we're going to have mm-hmm. coming up. Yeah. And we're going to try to bring back the hobby segment that got a little derailed after the war started, and rightfully so. But a lot of the people that we were talking to beforehand are now ready to go again, and I think kind of looking forward to it. So we're going to have that coming up this fall. And going from there, we're also looking at finally relaunching our website. We've been talking about that all summer, and it's almost ready to go. Plus a user-friendly app, be able to submit your stories and do a number of other things. So that's going to be a fun little project to work on as well. So, you know, getting to the point of all this stuff, I know that we're looking at doing some new cosplays and some things like that. And um, I'm thinking about some stuff myself, which we'll see if it works out. Looking at possibly getting a large 3D printer that would help with some of that. So that'd be cool. We'll see what we get Mm -hmm. to play with and what we get to look at and 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 deal with there. So you know, onward and upward, as they say. Exactly. Next week, we next week we've got another good new show for you. Got some stuff coming up there that I think you're going to enjoy. And until then, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022, User Friendly Media Group Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host, and not necessarily those of the user-friendly media group, Inc., or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by Weird Technology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, the
0: or anywhere you listen to podcasts.